0: You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. I know you all hear readings when you come to church like that, and you go, good luck with that one, Sean. Right? Well, how do you think I feel? I'm sitting down to read this thinking, Lord, how do you what Paul how does this help me out here and I you know what struck me as I was trying to prepare these softball passages uh in studying them was the desire the temptation to master the text to fit and to accommodate our lives as opposed to a far more dangerous thing to be mastered by the text for our lives to be called into conformity with what scripture is revealing that's dangerous but it's life-giving. And if we can come to the scriptures teachable and open and expectant of hearing the voice of the Lord through the power of the Spirit with a ton of good, hard study and work and mentoring with other people and the wealth of the knowledge of the church, we stand a chance and actually we should expect to be worked on by the Lord, for him to meet us and to give us something that's actually life-giving. I was convicted about this as I was preparing um, the, these, this sermon this morning. Well, we've been in Ephesians. This is the second to last study that we're, a sermon that you're gonna hear in the book of Ephesians. We got one next week coming up. But we've been looking at this idea throughout Paul's letter of what it means to be the church. And it's not in, in some sort of like dangling carrot in front of us way. Look, if you only do X, Y, Z, then you maybe stand a chance of being the church. Paul doesn't come at us that way. He says, actually, do you know who you are? already in Christ. Oh, church, that you would become what you are. Oh, church, that you would realize the beauty of who you are, the bride of Christ, the living body of our Lord in your neighborhood. What a compelling, what a beautiful invitation to us. And in the last few chapters, Paul has been kind of cracking open that beautiful image of the church and saying, here's how it looks to live with one another in love. He's been addressing our relationships, how we deal with one another in the church. And it's no different this morning as we read about the life of Christians in the church, but specifically in the home, the life of a family. But for us to really hear this in our current cultural moment, the mood that we're in, uh, I've got to do a little bit of lead up, a little bit of ramp up. Because I think if we just jumped right in, we may not hear this speaking to us in our moments. We have some... Prevalent cultural idolatries around sexuality, gender roles, the elimination of male and female distinctions that we've got to deal with. I don't usually take so much time to ramp up, but if you would just allow me to, I think it'll actually be able to speak even more clearly to our moment. The Me Too movement. How do you read a passage like this amidst the Me Too movement? And especially the way that even in the church, we're being exposed to some of the horrors, some of the most demonic evils coming from our church leaders, people like myself. Sexual abuse by clergy, the lack of accountability of our highest leaders, the lack of justice for the victims of the church. such a strange thing to even say. Historically, the mistreating of LGBTQIA, the, the list is getting longer, but they're, they're there. And we've mistreated them historically. The disrespect of women, we've got a long track record of that. The myth of manhood as dominating others and using power and violence to get what you want and assert yourself. So much of this, I've been talking to other clergy saying, how are you going to preach coming off of what's coming out of Pennsylvania and coming off of these leaders in the church and just in the mood, how do you, how do we go on preaching? We got so much to say to the church. And I remember being on the phone with, uh, it was Jonathan Warren. I was talking today. I'm like, well, actually it's, it's as if almost the church needs to be preaching at us, brother. It's the leaders that have misled the church. That have been unfaithful. So much of the blame of what I'm describing to you, of the damage that the church has done, I'm just going to own up to that, has been so much a crisis and a failure of church leadership. Let that sink in for a second. So much of the blame of this lands on the leaders of the church. People in the influ- who have influence in the household of God, who have this Amazing and wonderful and horrible burden to lead God's sheep, to teach the scriptures faithfully, to lead us in moments like this, to defend the weak, to welcome children. Have you heard anything Jesus has said about dignifying women and bringing the children to himself and setting the captives free? So much what the church leaders have done, even recently that's being exposed, has been contrary to what Jesus is calling us to do and live. Pastoral malpractice, fear, Arrogance, it has brought about unacceptable harm, not only to God's people, but to those outside the church. I know this sounds like not a very wonderful start to a sermon, but I think honestly, to to read scripture, to let it speak to the moment of where we actually are, our everyday lives, we have to call those things out for what they are. And unfortunately, even these very verses in Ephesians have been used by people like me to dominate, to spiritually abuse people, to oppress and enslave and use the Bible to justify it. How horrible. But regardless of how you end up interpreting this, I just wanna say this, the trick is this. This is how you can learn to read the Bible. No matter how you come to the scriptures and you invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us, You know that it is right and it is a good reading. It is a faithful interpretation if it is in keeping with who Jesus is. Jesus makes sense of all of our interpretation of Scripture. And anything that we draw from the text must shoot along the lines of who we know of him and the way that he expresses love and servant leadership and power and authority and manhood, you name it. We want to read scripture in light of Jesus, because of Jesus, and even with Jesus in the church, right? Amen? If it's not in line with Jesus' way of doing power, of loving others, then it's just wrong. That's a super simple hermeneutic that we can adopt and commit to. These verses have always been used, also been used to marginalize who, those who aren't married, to say that maybe your life isn't quite complete if you don't have this picture of the family in your life. Or for folks whose family doesn't look like man and woman and children, divorced folks, single parents, same-sex families, people who aren't married and like don't plan on getting married, and that's okay. We tend to, uh, but as I want to invite you, if, if that is locating any of you, I want to invite you, as we... Tend to this biblical account of a husband wife relationship in the household, this picture of holy matrimony, which means holy mothering. As we tend to this biblical account of the family, there is so much here that you too can and should expect to see lived out in the household of God's church, the family of God's people. And you are a member of that family. If you are baptized, you're a member of that family. So this is even speaking to us as those who are members of the household of God. Holy matrimony is one very, very important, very sacred, wonderful gift of God. But only, it's, it's not the only way, but it is one very important way in which the gift of the household of God is realized to us, is put in our hands, that we can live into and experience. It's not the fulfillment of the human vocation, it doesn't complete you, marriage doesn't complete you, and you are not less without it. Holy matrimony at its best is a sacred calling of self-giving love that bears life. Creates spaces for others to be welcomed into in safety and sacramentally makes visible the beauty of Jesus and his bride, the church. That's what holy matrimony is. I could say more and I could go on. And in fact, not a bad plug for, hey, we're doing our catechism class and we talk about all this stuff. September 9th, you're welcome to join us. But all that context, I wanna say, there's so much at play just for even for us to come to the text this morning. And here we need to just identify and name some of those things. So let's resist those cultural idolatries, those twists uh, those malformed, kind of perverted images of the family and human sexuality. And, and it's also identified, like, this is also holy matrimony as a very specific and sacred sacrament of the church in which we get to see something really beautiful, the family of God realized in a very tangible way that's opened to others. So with that in mind, let's look into the text in Ephesians 5.20. Um, if you have your scripture journals or your Bibles, you can open with me. We're going to go pretty much verse by verse through this. Let's see. Let's see what happens. When the church lives together in a worshipful and grateful relationship we got with God, hear this, when the church lives together in a worshipful and grateful relationship to God, we find something super surprising. We find that our hearts are moved toward one another. As our hearts have been captured by God and worship, it changes us and we're actually moved toward love to each other. As Paul says in verse 20, we end up submitting to one another, he says, out of reverence for Christ. Notice that this call to submission, this description of what Paul's saying, isn't based on, well, that person's clergy, so you should probably submit to them. Yes, there's spiritual fatherhood at play here and what a wonderful gift, but that's not what Paul's getting at. It's not submit to them if you like them or you agree with their political views or they're older or because you're just supposed to be nice as a Christian so like submit to one another. Paul doesn't employ any of that argument. He says, recognize Christ in them and out of reverence and of love of Jesus, submit to your brother and sister because Christ is in them. This vertical reverence for God leads us to a horizontal reverence for each other. Does that make sense? You tracking with me? Now this is, I, I want to underscore this because this is the fundamental key to understanding the rest of what we're about to read in verse 21. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Genesis three sixteen is really helpful here. Paul and the New Testament writers, they're not just like pulling things out of nowhere. These, these biblical writers inspired by the Spirit are filled with an Old Testament imagination, more so than probably we can appreciate or identify. And so we, we know that what's ringing in Paul's head as he's writing this, kind of like the backdrop of his thought as he's inspired by the Spirit to write this, is this moment in Genesis 3, 16, where we read of a fallen broken family order. As God tells the woman, Eve, in this fallen arrangement, this is what God says to Eve, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. You're going to disagree. That sounds pretty normal to us. But he shall rule over you. Or another way to say this is he will lord it over you. But in the family of God, led by Jesus... He warns us not to misuse power. He warns us not to lord power over each other. In Matthew 20, 25, does that ring a bell? You know how the Gentiles use power? Don't do it that way. That's not how I do it in the kingdom. We don't lord power over people. Instead, Jesus gives us a new vision for what was now a broken and fallen arrangement in the household. Jesus gives us a new vision for the household, along which... I think Paul is working. He's not doing something different from the aims of Jesus, but is working with this vision that the Lord gives us when he says, wives submit to your husbands. How's that Sean? It looks like this, understanding and supporting your husband, your spouse being for them. Even letting your spouse take the lead in certain ways. Out of reverence for Christ, we just let that sit for a second. There's all kinds of things to say about that, but let's hear Paul's words: "Wives, be for your husbands." Can you imagine how wonderful that would be to have spouses who are for each other, who are willing to like lay down their life for their spouse, to submit their life to their spouse, and not out of like, well, I you know, I, I really like him today because you know that changes. But out of reverence for Christ, Paul is inviting you, out of love for Christ, who is in your husband, submit to him, understand, support before him. But this isn't one-sided either. He goes on. And some often hold their breath. As they read that moment, everybody's kind of, what's he gonna say next? In fact, Paul, it's interesting, from here on out speaks basically to men because he just hammers us nonstop. And we probably need it, which is good. So Paul in verse 23 says uh, that husbands are called to lead, not by domineering or pulling some fallen rank from some arrangement of a fallen family over his wife, but really, and I think this is actually more faithful what Paul's getting at, simply as those who go first in laying down his life for others. Men, husbands, husbands. Don't look around expecting someone else to lay down their life for your family. Don't look around in your family for someone else to take that first step. Husbands, be the first. Lay down your life for your family. Be the first to be the servant, to take up the towel. Can I translate this for us? Let's just keep it real. Gentlemen, be the first to apologize in an argument. That's super practical. And that's coming from like my own life. I'm hearing this. I'm just sharing with you what the Spirit's saying to me. Sean, don't let your wife say sorry first. Get in there. Make it right first. Serve her. Any other way of coming about this marriage relationship is not of the Lord. It's just not Jesus' invitation to us. And any other way of reading Paul's point, I think, is just a poor interpretation because it's not in keeping with the care and love that we see in the life of Christ. Paul goes way out of his way to make crystal clear that Christ in the marriage and in the family, Christ is our example, which really isn't that profound of a point. If you think, for Christians, Christ is the example, yes. Well, he's really just saying, yeah, it actually still applies also in the marriage. Christ is your example. Take his lead. Anything else is just self-serving sin. Be a Christian in the home, is what Paul's arguing. Likewise, women, don't undermine or subvert your husbands, whether in private or in front of other people. Be his first cheerleader, his first supporter. And give yourself to, to his support in this mutual, loving submission that you can expect from your husband as well. And you ought to be able to expect before him. Paul, again, back to husbands. You know, there's like little snippets for wives, but he's really getting after us. Husbands in verse 25, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. See that Christ's example, it's everywhere. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and the word. Huge reference to baptism there. Did you see that? having cleansed her by the washing of water and the word, the word spoken, the water, the sacrament all together there. Verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. The whole family, wives, husbands, even when we get to children and servants is to be lived in reference to Christ and out of reverence for Christ. If you want to know how to have harmony and life in the, in the home, it's super simple, people. Do what Jesus does. And love others when, when, when all your motivations to love and serve each other are empty. Do it out of a love for Christ who's in the other. Paul makes it really clear that husbandly love, and he really zeroes in on husbands. Husbandly love is nothing short of an all-out, eager, self-sacrificing generosity. A man's life is well spent as one that creates domains for others to thrive in safety and live and prosper, to cooperate with the work of God in their life and not to obstruct it. You see later on, dads being instructed not to provoke your children in anger. Don't obstruct the work of God in their life. Don't, don't try and anger your children. Don't be a jerk in the home, but express and demonstrate the love that God has for you as your child, as, as his child in the home. Cooperate with that cleansing work of baptism that purifying, sanctifying work in baptism. Let that be a reality that spills into your home. You can even picture the baptismal waters dripping on us as we walk into the home. It's still there and it's still in effect. Paul's saying, cooperate with that reality of your baptism so that in all of these things, the family would be made whole by the love of Jesus, by the love of Christ. Paul, as he's writing and he's going, you can kind of, and I love this about him, he he is so... Convicted, He's so convinced, he's so impassioned about what he's trying to communicate oftentimes. And sometimes it, it pokes up in the text and he, it's just right in front of you. He, he kind of nears the ends of his limitations to explain what's going on here, this beautiful mystery that he sees. He says in verse 32, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. He knows that what is clearest to him about this husband-wife-child relationship is that it should mimic Christ and his treatment of his church. We should mimic and take the example of Jesus. See, when we zoom out of the family, we see this really beautiful picture, not of self-serving Interests or agendas, or using power to get what you want over and against others, or manipulating, or all of that is out. That's all gone. You've been baptized. That's been washed away. Now we see this beautiful image of the family that is completely informed and shaped by Jesus. You are a living member of his body. Act like that at home, too. That's like a really good idea. There's some integrity there. Be yourself at home. Jesus is the touch point, the key. For all subsequent relationships, not only in our life, but especially in our family. Children, not in here, some of you are. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. This applies to you too. Obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Kids are not only to come under the care of their parents in verse 2 and 3, but come under their care with honor. Honor your father and your mother, as the old commandment says to us. And that, kids, that doesn't mean that you have to agree with your parents on everything and that you can't be mad at them. I get this, I I was a kid too, I get it. But honor is a way of putting aside your own um, fits. That's not perfect timing actually. Putting aside your own um, agenda, just as Jesus submitted himself to the church as a self-sacrificing generosity. Children, honor your father and your mother. Parents, Paul finishes, don't just be nice to your kids. In other words, if I could paraphrase them, don't just be nice to them. Don't spoil your kids to death and give them whatever they want. You know what they really need? They need you to demonstrate the life of Jesus for them. Paul pushes us parents, demonstrate, teach, show, exhibit, live out the love of Christ, tell stories about Jesus. One of the things we love to do around the dinner table is to say, you know, this one time, you ever heard this one story about Jesus when he came to the well or Jesus when he came to this man who couldn't see? Did I ever tell you the story about what happened when these friends ripped open a roof and dropped their lame friend, their paralyzed friend before the feet of Jesus? You wanna know what happened? Our kids dig that, they love it. Tell stories, but even more importantly, in your own relationship with each other, teach Jesus, demonstrate Jesus. In the family of God, we find the place of love, affirmation, mutual submission, trust. In the family of God, we find a new energy for being human in community with one another. And especially in a world like ours right now, we need that new inspiration, don't we? We need that new energy, that new way of being a family. This gift that God has given us in the family isn't just to be enjoyed by uh, spouses and the 2.5 kids, but this gift that's given to the family is meant to be opened up and given to others. So if you're a family and you don't regularly invite people over for dinner, a super easy way to respond to this reality of the family is to invite someone over for dinner, have people over for dinner, especially family members in this body, this household. And even zooming out one step, family, family, House, we have, a ha- we have a family here. We want to open up our doors and be welcoming and hospitable to others. We want to welcome other people into this wonderful gift that is the family of God. And we want to demonstrate the life of Christ. When people come into our homes, when they come into our church, what they, w- what they ought to see if we're going to be consistent with who Jesus is, is a whole bunch of people submitting to each other out of reverence for Jesus this bizarre community of people who are so captured by the love of God that it just spills out of their lives in self-sacrificing generosity for one another. This is the vision of the family. And that, my friends, can change the world. It's in fact what our world needs. It needs that example. It needs that hope. May we, Rez, not only as a church, but even in our homes and in our families, may we be the place of that life-giving love of God as a family where we are readily and eagerly submitting to one another out of love for Christ. And we witness of his great love for us and for others. Amen. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.